sort of ironic. They won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> so it's the season. The leaves are falling and everything has pumpkin spice in it. It's exciting. There's a chill in the air. That's right. It's time for all the readings about money in scripture every week. Um, it's because the lectionary is set up, generally speaking, uh, for the rest of the churches that do their stewardship drives in the fall. We do ours in the spring. So this is kind of weird. <laughs> Just a quick side note, can you imagine being in one of those congregations and your clergy person is standing up here and saying, gosh, isn't, it, isn't this congregation wonderful? Isn't it amazing how you get to participate in the work of this and the scripture's going? <laughs> it's great. It's a good time to preach. Anyway, uh, it's not really stewardship season here, uh, and I'm not going to preach about these readings directly, but how we think about money and wealth is directly tied to how we think about God. Does God reward good behavior with money? I get stuff in the mail periodically that says that God does. And that I should put things under my pillow and pray over them and then send them back and God will send me checks. That's the thing. Does God require slaves to return to their masters? Sometimes in scripture, God does. As we understand it, slaves are a form of property, wealth. God has some interest in that in some of those stories. Is that how we understand God about that? Is your money ever an idol? Oh, absolutely not. An idol just means something is between you and God. My husband's favorite, uh, he says his favorite sin of the church is, um, oh, I've forgotten the name of it already. Oh, uxoriousness. <laughs> Good word. Loving your wife before God. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> that's putting something between you and God. That's what an idol is. Do we sometimes make our money an idol? We do. And this money or the gifts that we bring up here every week, um, we take up our collection and uh, we have bread and wine and we don't put the music on the altar, of course, but the music itself is a gift, right? These are things that we put on the altar. Why do we do that with this wealth that we've been given, money and talent? That says something to us about God or how we understand God leads us to do that. Does that make sense? These things are important and they tell us something about how we think about God. What is God like? All of our scriptures and traditions derive from this idea of how we think about God, how we appease God when we think God is angry, how we walk with God right next to us as we walk through our life. In the creation, God is creative, life-giving, orderly, in Exodus, God is compassionate and just, maybe a little bit controlling when God sort of hardens Pharaoh's heart, definitely frustrated with the people when they complain all the time. In the whole Torah narrative, God is a teacher. God is like a sheepdog. God is an angry parent who just needs a minute in the other room. In the prophets, God desperately wants the people to care about each other, about God. And today, in this reading from the gospel, God is merciful, but also sets a hard boundary. 
This is a story that Jesus is telling, so God is deeply human. There's an argument that can be made that all of these stories that are in our scripture are not exactly about how God is, but how those writers want God to be like. It's also a good question. What do you want God to be like? What do you need God to be like in any given moment? This uh, past week, so not this past week, the week before, we had our first street preachers on campus for the semester. It's always a festal day. <laughs> um, twice, two different, two different groups. Um, and uh, it's always a bummer when my students tell me that that's what's going on. Like, Dang it. They remembered. Anyway, they were there and... Um, the first day was, I think it was just a couple people and it was kind of a lower key thing. The Friday, there were a bunch more of them and they were very loud. They had a really amazing sound system, honestly. Um, and they had a huge, one of those, the groups that have the big signs that have a list of all the things that if you do, you're going to hell. Some, I mean, they're not obvious to me, but some typical ones you might expect, like if you're gay or trans, that's one of the things. Um, apparently, if you believe that black lives matter, at all, you're going to go to hell? And this one got me. If you are a sports fan, you're going to go to hell. Just saying. It's on the sign, so it must be true. <laughs> no Bengal, that's a good point. Are the Bengals playing today? Uh-uh. <laughs> anyway. And they're, you know, they're very loud and they're very insulting, very hurtful to all kinds of people who walk by. Um, their understanding of God, I, I don't know, because I didn't get to talk to them, but it seems like their understanding of God, their experience of God, is that God is angry all the time. That God is unforgiving, unloving. I don't know if they think about it this way, but man, that God is unpleasant, petty, boring, unrelatable right? Now, I was walking by them to get to uh, a spirituality group that I do every Friday in the LGBTQ center. Um, and I was like, I have some time. Should I, should I do? I didn't. I did not stop. Uh, I went ahead and went to the center and there were already a bunch of people there and boy, were they energized. <laughs> they were full of excitement <laughs> because a handful of those students grew up in small towns and in conservative churches and in conservative families where they were not allowed to be who they were, right? And this is not a judgment about like political persuasion. This is these students felt like those preachers were talking directly to them and saying, your whole being is wrong. And this was the first time in their lives that they were able to see someone saying to them, you're terrible and awful. And for them to be able to say, no, that is not right. <laughs> They were so excited to be able to stand up for themselves and for their friends and to say, no, these are my people. There is love here. It's beautiful <laughs> uh, and kind of hilarious as they were just so excited about it. Those students, it was the first time they were able to see their own worth publicly. And this is amazing to me. Two weeks in, this is before those, those preachers came to campus, two weeks in, to the semester, I was sitting next to one of these students in this group. So this is literally two weeks into having met these folks, right? There's new people all the time on campus. 
I'm sitting next to this student, second time I've ever sat next to them. We're talking about kind of how we were leaving the session that day. And this student said, I'm leaving this session already feeling like my spiritual trauma is being healed. <laughs> Two sessions. That someone, anyone, would sit next to them and say, you are beautiful. You are worthy of love and belonging exactly as you are. That's a different experience of what God is like. Right? Does God actually affect us? Our, perce our perception of God, how we understand God, how we experience God in our lives, walking through it with us. Does that actually affect us? Or is it just a nice civic thought? I think it does. I think it absolutely affects us. I think I've told you a while ago there was a time we had the, the red couch out and a young man came up and wanted to read to me extensively from the book of Daniel. It's fine. I've read it before. It's good stuff. Uh, so he read to me a whole chapter and then was telling me about how this chapter, all the numbers in it were significant of when the end times were going to be. And they were going to be very soon, of course, um, and how everybody needed to repent and all the things. I was like, great. I don't really agree with you. That's okay. This is important to you, clearly, because you just came up to this random person to tell me this. What difference does this make to you? If this is how you understand scripture, if this is how you understand God is going to be, what difference does this make to your life and how you live it out in the world? I don't think he'd been asked that before, and so he kind of walked away. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's the question. What difference does your experience of God make to how you live in the world? I am... Um, now in a spiritual direction class at the Jesuit Center in Milford. Um, I've only been in three classes so far, so don't ask me anything yet, but it's good stuff. Um, and one of the things that they tell us is that uh, spiritual direction, as opposed to therapy or similar things, spiritual direction is about helping the director, helping the directee deepen their relationship with God. That's it. And so they tell us in that room, when you're sitting with a directee, there are three people in that room. The director, the directee, and God. Trinitarian. Love that. So this is the primary question. If we are in the room with God, if God is sitting next to you, walking with you, if you have relationship with the divine, what is that relationship like? What kind of friend is God to you? Or what kind of friend are you to God? And knowing that, what does that imply about how we're meant to act out in the world? So, pause for a second. If you want to close your eyes, you can. Just notice your own experience with the divine. What is a single word or phrase? Certainly not the only one. What is a single word or phrase that you would use to describe your relationship with God? What is God like to you? It's a little vulnerable, so you don't have to say anything. Does anybody have a word you want to share with us? Striving. Ooh. Loving. 
warmth, intimate, compassionate, huh? There's probably more. I really want my students to hear you talk about your experience of God, not the street preachers. I want them to hear your experience. God can be supportive, strong, uh, a bulwark, tender, challenging, and convicting sometimes. Sometimes, maybe a lot of times, we have the experience of God being absent. That's hard to feel. If you're looking at some of the violence in Iran, the devastation in Puerto Rico, or the ongoing devastation in our prison system, or fill in the blank. It's okay if you feel that way. Feeling God's absence is also a way we live in the world. So how do we live if that's our experience? They told us in seminary, one of the ways we can tell what God is like is by looking at Jesus. So our theology is that uh, Jesus is God incarnate. So if Jesus does something, let's look at that. What does that suggest about God? Jesus is generous, wildly so. He's interested in healing for sure. He's radically inclusive. He is smart and funny, believe it or not. He's uncomfortable. He's desperate to help. Sometimes a little standoffish. I realize we can ask the question, how much of that is divine? How much of that is human? Sure, I don't know. These things point, right, in a direction. Again, what is God like and what are we going to do about it? The question I ask my students is, so what? It's great. So what? So this. At the 11 o'clock service, we're going to do a baptism. And um, often we have communion up here. These are sacraments, fancy word, capital S sacraments, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Love that definition. (laughs) The outward and visible sign, water, bread, wine, whatever. There are ways that we live in the world that are the outward and visible sign of that inward and spiritual connection to God. Your everyday life is sacramental. It doesn't have to be in here. I know, Lutherans have two sacraments, but guess what? You have like a million. <laughs> in your everyday life, whether you're talking to a cashier, you're driving behind someone who cut you off, you're watching the news about whatever is happening, what is the outward and visible sign of your inward and spiritual grace, of God sitting next to you and watching you and being with you? This God is multifaceted, slippery even, <laughs> But this God is about equity and healing and transformation and gratitude. So what difference does it make, those words that you had in your head? What difference does it make that God is sitting next to you while you balance your checkbook? Anybody still balance their checkbooks? Okay. (laughs) It's 2022. Maybe we don't do that anymore. (laughs) What difference does it make? With God sitting next to you when you learn about someone's experience of oppression? What difference does it make to you with God sitting next to you when you vote, when you grocery shop, when you post things on Facebook? When God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, how does that change us? 
Amen.